everyone. I'm Sam. And I'm Sean. And this is Key to the Case. Thank you all for joining us today and for consistently supporting the show. Today's case is one of the strangest we've covered, which is saying a lot because we've discussed some pretty strange cases. But with this one, there is such a lack of coverage out there. When I went to newspapers.com to find coverage of this case, because it is from 2008, nothing came up, which is highly unusual. And even a simple Google search doesn't provide much. However, I have to give a big shout out to the Unsolved Mysteries podcast because they highlighted this case in March 2023 and they conducted interviews with really relevant people. So I learned information from Unsolved Mysteries that I had never heard in this case before. So that was, of course, really helpful. Also, thank you so much to our listener, Nicole, who actually requested this case. With that, let's discuss the murder of Kanika Powell. Kanika Powell was 28 years old at the time of her murder in 2008. Kanika was raised in Maryland by a single mother, Judy, who later married Kanika's stepdad. Judy described Kanika as bubbly from a young age. She said that as Kanika grew up, she had this kind of feisty phase, as many of us do, but she was generally really likable and got along with just about everybody. Kanika graduated from high school in Upper Marlboro, Maryland in 1998, and then she enlisted in the Army a couple of years later. Kanika and her mom stayed in touch by writing letters back and forth, and that's something Judy cherishes to this day. She still has those letters and, of course, looks back on them fondly. Kanika was stationed in Korea for the last year of her service. After Kanika's military service ended in 2004, she began working for the Applied Physics Lab at Johns Hopkins University as a security specialist. The Applied Physics Lab is a not-for-profit university-affiliated research center, and it operates as a scientific and technical resource for various government entities. Okay, so at this point, she moved back closer to her mom in Maryland. Yes, that's correct. And she actually lived in Laurel, Maryland, which sits in the middle of Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, Maryland. So Kanika was thrilled about this opportunity. We don't know much about the details of her job, but that's by design. Kanika had a top secret security clearance. According to the Washington Post, she started at the lab as a contract worker, but then two years later, in 2006, she became a full-time lab employee. Judy explained that she really didn't know much about Kanika's job, but she knew Kanika traveled for work sometimes to drop off or pick up documents at various locations. Yeah, which is understandable because she had a security clearance, so she couldn't really divulge too much information about her job. Exactly. Yeah. And and when Judy would try to pry or learn more, Kanika would say that she couldn't tell her that. So as I said, Kanika was living in Laurel, Maryland at this time, and she lived at the Deerfield Apartments, and she led a pretty normal life. She went to work every day, came home, cooked dinner, you know, a fairly standard schedule. Kanika was even described as somewhat of a homebody in the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Kanika had a close group of friends, and those friends had been in her life for many years. Some of them she'd even been friends with since high school. But in the weeks leading up to her murder, a new cast of characters entered her life, and she began spending time with this new group of friends that 
her other friends didn't know too much about. There was one woman in particular that Kanika connected with and they began dating. This woman's name has not been revealed or used publicly at all and neither have the friend's name, so I actually don't know any of their names. I'll probably just refer to her as the girlfriend throughout this episode, although they were dating. I don't know if they exactly had a label yet, but just for the sake of ease for this podcast, we'll call her the girlfriend. So Kanika and her new girlfriend plan to travel to Atlanta, Georgia for a pride festival the week of Kanika's murder, but of course they never made it. And this information about Kanika's new friends and the woman she was dating is not widespread. If you read or listen to coverage of this case, it's typically stated that Kanika didn't have a significant other. So I was surprised to learn this information from the Unsolved Mysteries coverage. So how did the information come to light about their relationship? So this is coming from Kanika's mom and her friend Ayana. And according to Unsolved Mysteries, Kanika introduced this woman she was seeing to her mom, Judy, briefly. And Judy got a good impression. She got a warm feeling from her, but she also acknowledged that she didn't get to spend that much time with her. Judy later learned that this woman had an ex-boyfriend who was described as unfriendly and he was reportedly jealous of the relationship between, you know, his ex-girlfriend and Kanika and he seemed unhappy about Kanika coming into the picture. However, the details about this are pretty vague, pretty minimal, but it's important to understand the relationship between Kanika and everyone in her circle, but even this outer circle too. In the week leading up to Kanika's murder, in August 2008, a series of bizarre and concerning events unfolded. Just under a week before Kanika's murder, she attended a friend's birthday party and told a couple of her close friends that she needed to tell them something important, but she would tell them the next day, which was Saturday, August 23rd. Her friends never learned what she wanted to tell them because on that Saturday at around 7 p.m., Kanika received a knock at the door. She peered at the peephole on her front door and saw a man. Kanika asked why he was there, and he claimed he was with the FBI. And this is all behind the door. She never actually opened the door for him. So he said he's with the FBI, and he was there to talk about a fraud investigation with Kanika Powell. Kanika, being the smart woman she was, asked him to supply identification, so he put what resembled a law enforcement badge up to the peephole. Yet there was no photo ID, and he didn't say what his name was. Okay, I have a couple of things. So I suppose the first one is, if someone came up to my door and said they were investigating me for fraud, and I knew that that wasn't true, I would... I feel like I would instantly recognize that and be like, what are you talking about? I'm I'm going to call the police. Yeah, Kanika did not think this was uh, legitimately an FBI agent at her door. Okay. Yeah, and then my second question is, how how do we know this information? So this is not the night of Kanika's murder, which is what I'm assuming you were thinking. Okay, yeah. So this is the first of several incidents, and Kanika told quite a few people about this. She was really taken aback 
And she actually sent an email to her friends about this incident. So we have this unique opportunity to hear directly from Kanika about what happened. She said, quote, I just wanted to share with you the scariest thing that happened to me this weekend. Saturday evening around 7 p.m., a man was knocking at my door. As all of you may know, I live alone. I asked who it was and he didn't answer. So once I got close to the door and looked out of the peephole, I saw a male figure that was not familiar to me at all. I asked who he was and all he stated was that he was from the FBI and that he was looking for Kanika Powell. It freaked me out completely because this man knew my name. He held a shield up, but no picture ID, and he never gave his name. He told me he was looking for me in regards to an investigation. I told him that I had no idea as to what he was talking about and that he would need to show me documentation as well as a warrant of some sort. So he left, and I looked out my bedroom window and saw him walking. I also heard a voice tell him to walk in the opposite direction. The whole situation was scary and seemed so false. So because of this incident, not only did I get no sleep for the rest of the weekend, I'm trying to get an alarm system installed at my new apartment. I had one in my old apartment, but I just hadn't had it transferred over to my new one. As far as everything that happened with the guy, I did call the FBI. They told me that it was more than likely bogus because they never come to your door by themselves and they always leave a card of some sort so that you can contact them. I called the local police as well to give them a description just in case someone is out there trying to rape or harm single women. Pass this on, ladies. This is not a fake Ford. This happened to me, Kanika. Who knows who these guys are and what they are doing and what areas other than mine, end quote. Wow, that was extremely descriptive and good for Kanika for sending that out to to her friends. My question is, did she send this to her you said she had two groups of friends, right? Her old friends and her new friends. Did she send this to both groups or was it just to one? That's a good question. I actually don't know the answer to that. I do know, though, that her old friends or like the friends she'd been close with for a long time, they did get the email, but I'm not sure if the newer friends she had made were included on that. And not included in that email, Kanika also described that she saw a red car speeding away from her apartment complex after that incident, but she wasn't certain that it was the man who came to her door driving the vehicle. So you can tell by that email that Kanika was startled by this person who came to her door. And I thought it was really wise that she called her local FBI field office to question if someone needed to talk to her. But then to have Kanika's worst fears confirmed that someone was impersonating an FBI agent in an attempt to get to her had to be anxiety-inducing. Local law enforcement came to Kanika's home that night after she called them and she reported the incident. They canvassed the area with no results and said they would increase the patrol in the area that day and over the days that followed. Kanika gave law enforcement a physical description of this person, and he's described as a black male, and he wore a black hat, black glasses, and a black North Face jacket. When Kanika told her mom about this incident, she remarked how unusual it was that he wore a jacket like that in August, which is a consistently warm time of year in Maryland, so this kind of jacket would absolutely stand out, and there was no obvious need for it. 
Kanika thought that someone might be setting her up for a scam, but that thinking would change later on. And going back to how Kanika told her friends that she needed to tell them something, well, when they spoke to her, their conversation was just focused on this weird event, and they never had the chance to get back to the subject that she wanted to tell them about at that birthday party. So for all we know, it could have been something, you know, pretty simple, nothing nothing too concerning to talk about, but we'll, we'll never know the answer to that. Kanika's friends and mom were deeply concerned about her safety, and her mom, as well as her friend Ayana, opened up their homes to Kanika, and they told her that she could come stay with them. Kanika politely declined their offers and said she wasn't going to be made to feel unsafe in her own home. Four days after this incident, and the day before Kanika's murder, on the evening of August 27th, Kanika received another knock at her door. This time, it was a man impersonating a FedEx delivery driver who needed to deliver a package to her. Kanika told this man to leave whatever it was at her door. He claimed she needed a sign for it, but Kanika responded that she didn't order anything. And that's the first red flag. Most people, if they have a package delivered that they need to sign for, especially, they know it's coming. It's probably pretty important, but Kanika didn't have anything on the way. Yeah, I guess I just have to ask, does it look like the last guy to show up at her door? So, good question. We don't have a great description um, from Kanika about this guy, but the man who said he would go get the package, he never returned. So when he was leaving, Kanika's cousin, who actually lived across the street from the Deerfield apartments where Kanika lived, she happened to have just arrived home as this supposed FedEx employee left Kanika's home. She described him as a six foot tall black male with a beard, and he wore a FedEx shirt with either cut off or short sleeves, a pair of shorts, white socks, and a pair of tan Timberland style boots. Kanika's cousin never saw a FedEx truck in the vicinity, and the man then, you know, fell out of her line of sight, so she didn't see what vehicle he drove. So based on all that information, we don't know if it was the same guy. Exactly. And the answer to the question of if it was the same person or not has been consistently misreported in this case. So Sergeant Gregory McDonald, who supervises the cold case unit in Prince George's County, told Unsolved Mysteries that they don't know if the fake FBI agent and the fake FedEx employee are the same person or two different people. I don't think Kanika or her cousin got a good enough look at the men to be able to say, but you might recall that with the first incident, Kanika thought she heard a voice tell the fake FBI agent to walk in the other direction. So seems possible that more than one person is involved in this. Right. But I think a challenge here is that Kanika's description about the fake FBI agent didn't involve a lot of physical characteristics. Her description was based more on what he was wearing, at least as far as we know. So we don't know if the fake FBI guy had facial hair and was about six feet tall, like the second guy. But what we can say is that Kanika didn't think she recognized either of these men. Or it's the same guy. She didn't know this man. Kanika was obviously startled by this event, and she called her local FedEx office to see if she was listed 
for delivery, but they confirmed that she was not. Yeah, so at this point, she's she's kind of in a weird situation because there's this fake FBI agent that comes up to her door. She calls him out and she calls a local FBI office and they say, yeah, that wasn't an FBI agent. And then this FedEx driver comes up and he says, I'm here to deliver a package. And she calls FedEx and they say, yeah, you're not expecting any packages. So, And he wasn't even holding anything yeah. either. Like yeah. not even a fake box or anything. What is she supposed to do at this point? Obviously, someone is trying to get to her, but I don't know if the police can do anything about it, right? Right. I don't think there's much the police could do at that time. This These people hadn't threatened violence or anything, so I'm not sure how they would really handle that situation. They said they would patrol the area, but they're not going to just sit in her apartment's parking lot and, and wait for something to happen. Right. We're just... just- you know, it's scary because people are trying to get to you and you've recognized this, but there's there's like nothing you can do. I know. And I don't think with the first instant, I don't Kanika didn't think someone was trying to kill her, obviously. Yeah. And then with the second one, I think and there there will be a third one, but with the second one, she's starting to get more nervous, I think, but still not thinking someone wants to hurt me because she even said to her mom at one point, she didn't know whose cornflakes she pissed on. Basically just saying she didn't know who she upset right. to have someone after her. So she seemed totally in the dark about what was going on here. When Kanika told her friend Ayana about this situation, she also mentioned how she noticed that when she came home from work recently, there were cigarette butts and cigar tips lying on the ground in front of her front door as if someone had been waiting for her. I mean, for a while, have a cigar butt. I know. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, wait, don't those take a couple hours? <laughs> yeah, they take an hour minimum. Yeah. And what's kind of strange about that detail to me, though, is thinking about someone who's trying to target her, right? Or the people who are trying to target her, why they would want to be seen just hanging around her front door, right? I mean, they're coming up with these ruses to try to get her to open the door. It seems strange to me that they would stand around smoking in front of her door. Also, who has the time to be doing that? Do these people just have all day to be hanging out? Uh, Additionally, when I... Look at pictures of the Deerfield Apartments in Laurel. It looks like the entrance to her unit was indoor, not outdoor. Looks like there are a number of buildings in this complex. Then there's a door that takes you inside, but it looks like the kind of the door that's not secured. So anyone could get in, but we still don't know if those cigarette butts or cigar tips were left by the offender or offenders, or if that's just kind of a red herring. Kanika told her mom that she was taking the next day, Thursday, August 28th, off of work because she had maintenance scheduled for her car, and she was driving to Atlanta the next day, Friday, for the Pride Festival. That morning, an individual came to her door for the third time between 7 and 7.30, claiming to have a package for her, but she refused to answer. It's at this point, so so Kanika calls her mom about this incident, and she told her mom that she felt targeted. There were too many incidents for her to just be a random victim of a scam attempt like she initially thought. 
Kanika left for her car service appointment later that morning, and she arrived back home around 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. when she was approached by the offender near her front door, at which point neighbors heard Kanika yelling no repeatedly, and then they heard four to five gunshots in quick succession. One man looked outside and saw Kanika lying in blood, and he reportedly could even still smell the gunpowder. The police were called, and when first responders arrived, they quickly transported Kanika to the nearest hospital. Kanika was shot multiple times in the upper body, including her head, and she was unconscious. Kanika clung to life, and when her mom arrived at the hospital, she didn't understand how dire the situation was. Her initial thought was that Kanika would survive, she just needed surgery, but Sadly, that was not the case, and Kaniko was pronounced dead in the afternoon on the day after the murder. An investigation into Kaniko's murder began immediately. Robbery was ruled out as a motive as Kaniko's wallet and keys were found next to her, and there was no sign of a break-in to her apartment, and Kaniko was not sexually assaulted. There was very little physical evidence left behind, and although the handgun used to kill Kanika was not left at the scene, Sergeant McDonald shared with Unsolved Mysteries that there was ballistic evidence left behind, and since Kanika's murder, every firearm that has been recovered by law enforcement, both on the county level and national level, has been reviewed, but this evidence has not had a positive association with ballistic evidence from firearms, from other crimes. So this has been a dead end up until this point, but that doesn't mean there won't be a match one day. To make matters worse, there were no eyewitnesses from Kanika's apartment who could describe the killer. There were people who heard a struggle and the gunshots, but no one laid eyes on the killer. Which, you know, I I suppose that's understandable. Your first reaction when you hear gunshots isn't to go look at your window and see what's going on, right? It, you're you're probably going to take cover, right? So I would understand that not, you know, the neighbors not immediately looking out and see what's going on. They, they probably want to stay clear of whatever's going on. Well, and that's why I mentioned the layout of Kanika's apartment when I was thinking about it. That I don't even know if they would have had a window to look out and see because if this happened right in front of her door to her apartment, then they're indoor at that point. They don't have windows to look out. So you would be relying on the people who live in the same building as her to open their front door and look out. And yeah, to your point, don't really want to be in the line of fire in a situation like that. I I think it's important to note with this case that there was very little violent crime in this part of the county. And there were certainly no crimes like this that had occurred at her apartment community in the past. Police believed Kanika was targeted. It's not as though she fell victim to a random crime. Without much to work with, the investigation turned to Kanika's life, and investigators quickly learned that Kanika was a normal, hardworking young woman. She had no criminal background that might lead investigators to think someone could be after her for any reason. And it certainly didn't appear that the killer was someone known to Kanika. And we touch on this. She didn't recognize the man or the men who came to her door, assuming that's who was behind the crime, and the voice was unfamiliar too. 
Police learned about the new circle of friends Kanika had and her new girlfriend, as well as the new girlfriend's ex, but that seemed like a dead end as well. Kanika's friend Ayana told Unsolved Mysteries that none of her new friends or her new love interest showed up at the hospital while Kanika was there, and she didn't recall any of them attending the funeral. That kind of strikes me as a red flag. Especially the funeral, I can see maybe not going to the hospital because these weren't her lifelong friends, right? But you would think they would attend the funeral. But even her girlfriend not showing up at the hospital, right? I know, but I don't know how serious their relationship was. I'm not trying to make excuses, but there could have been a reason there, but they were about to go to Atlanta together. So this seems like kind of you know, big news to someone you're about to spend the weekend away with. Yeah, you're going on a trip and you're traveling together. Doesn't seem unserious to me. Yeah, and then to not show up, it seems suspicious. Kanika's mom has pointed out that Kanika deviated from her normal schedule on the day she was murdered. So who knew she would be home? Or was this person following her consistently and they happened to see that she was home mid-morning when they killed her when she normally wouldn't be? But if they knew her schedule, why would they be there anyway, waiting, right? It does seem like the guy or men who were impersonating the FBI agent and the FedEx employee, they seem to have some time on their hand. On their hands, right? Yeah, it seems like just, it. Just to perform that act. Well, two of the times it was around 7 p.m. And then one time it was on the day of the murder, before the murder, it was around 7 or 7.30 a.m., which would make me think maybe they work a standard kind of 9 to 5 type yeah. of schedule. But then if they're there at 11 or, or 12 when Kanika's there when she normally wouldn't be, then that makes me think, no, maybe they don't have that schedule. Maybe they were just following those few times because they knew Kanika would be home. So how did they know she would be home at this, like I said, 11 or 12? Could be that they're following her. Could be that someone told them. Since who we believe to be the killer knocked at Kanika's door to deliver a fake package again around 7.30, Maybe at that point, they thought they would catch her on the way to work, but then to still be there later in the morning, did they ever leave? But it kind of doesn't make sense because if they knew about her plans that morning, why even bother with the FedEx ruse? Why wouldn't they just wait for her to leave? Even if they didn't know, but they knew she worked in the morning, I still ask, why bother with the ruse? You would think They might have targeted her as she left her apartment unless they wanted to get inside her apartment for some reason. I suppose it's possible they left and came back, but this is showing determination on the part of this man or these men. This person was intent on killing Kanika. Kanika's mom pointed out that she believed Kanika's girlfriend knew about her car being serviced and taking the day off and That makes sense to me. It seems like something you might tell someone you're dating, especially if you're taking a 10 or 11 hour road trip the next day together. And I suppose Kanika's coworkers would have known as well, or 
Maybe they didn't know what she was doing, but they would know she wasn't at work that day. Other than that, I don't think Kanika shared this with many other people. Are we sure the murderer is a man? Well, I think it's a... Well, we know the FBI agent, the fake FBI agent, the fake FedEx driver were men or a man. (laughs) And so I think we... If we're connecting those incidents to the murder, then yes, it would be a man. But otherwise, no. Nobody saw the killer. So we actually don't know with any certainty anything about this person, what they looked like, gender, we don't know. When a person has the type of employment that Kanika did with a top secret security clearance and then they're murdered, there will always be a discussion of a possible connection between the job and the victim. This part of Kanika's life was examined by police and Sergeant McDonald reported that they couldn't find a connection. Kanika's mom is of the opinion that her job was not related to her murder. If this were carried out by a government entity or a professional of sorts, the crime was rather sloppy and the events leading up to it seem amateur. It seems that the killer didn't fully think through their plans, but then again, they haven't been caught. So how amateur were they? Or maybe they've just gotten lucky up to this point. Yeah, so we really don't know what she was doing for work, right? No, we have very few details outside of her job title of security specialist for Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's pretty open-ended. So with that, it makes it hard for us to sit here and say there could be a possible connection when we know so little about what she was doing on a daily basis. Right. Two and a half months after Kanika's murder, a 31-year-old man named Sean Green was murdered in Prince George's County, the same county Kanika lived in. Kanika's mom was flooded with phone calls and texts about the murder from people who suspected they could be connected. Sean had a government IT job with a top-secret security clearance. He was shot nine times by a masked killer while sitting in his car at a stoplight in Oxon Hill, Maryland. And Oxon Hill is just about 28 miles away from Laurel, or 45 kilometers away. It's not as if Sean and Kanika had the same employer. That would be far more suspicious to me. Sean's case remains unsolved with no known motive, and there's even less information out there about his murder than Kanika's, so that's saying a lot. Detectives unable to establish a connection between Sean's case and Kanika's concluded that the two were unrelated. Although, until the identification of Sean's killer and Kanika's killer occur, we may never know with complete confidence if they were related or not. But Sean very well may be a red herring in this case. I think there are a lot of differences too to me in that Sean's case seems a little more like a hit situation. Kanika's could be too, but they're just carried out differently. Another possible connection arose when a 25-year-old UPS worker named Jason Thomas Scott was indicted for two murders in the year after Kanika was murdered. He was then linked to three other murders. Jason worked at a UPS sorting facility part-time, but Jason held two master's degrees, one being in information systems management. 
Did he ever have an affiliation with FedEx? No, not that I'm aware of. He wasn't even a UPS driver either. He just worked at a sorting facility. But he allegedly used his technical skills to access databases at UPS to select and locate victims to then stalk them. I think he was getting their addresses from the system. Although you don't really need technical skills to access the database, is what I would say. But Jason also attended the same high school as Kanika, although he was a few years younger than her, and there's no evidence that they actually knew each other. Now, I stated the murders that Jason was indicted in, but he was really a professional criminal. He was accused of burglaries, sexual assault, home invasions, and selling stolen guns. And the selling of stolen guns was actually what got him caught for the other crimes. Kanika's murder fell within the timeline of Jason's crimes. So Jason was interviewed by the detectives leading the investigation into her murder, and they ruled him out as a suspect. According to Sergeant McDonald, his MO did not match the MO of Kanika's murder, and he never committed crimes in Laurel or the northern part of Prince George's County. What was the MO? How did they determine that? Sexual assault and burglary were often involved in his crimes. So I don't think there was a single time he murdered someone and didn't steal from them. So I think that's part of the issue here. So even though Jason's MO varied a bit, it wasn't the same thing every single time. It never matched what happened to Kanika. And I read up a bit on Jason Thomas Scott. I didn't do significant research by any means, but he seemed to have this habit of breaking into people's homes. And Kanika's home was never broken into and nothing was ever stolen, right? So maybe Jason would be more interesting in this case if someone actually had broken into her home or she had been sexually assaulted. But it seemed Kanika's killer didn't know how to break into her home or they didn't want to for some reason. And the killer certainly didn't steal anything from Kanika. If you want to learn more about him, there's plenty of information out there, but I didn't want to spend a ton of time on Jason because it distracts from Kanika's case when he has been ruled out as a suspect. As we've discussed the case, we have talked through some of the theories, such as Kanika's job being connected to her murder. There's no evidence to support this that we are aware of, but it's always going to be a theory in a case like this. I know Kanika couldn't talk much about her work, but if she suspected that these incidents were related to her work, she might have said that to someone or maybe someone she worked with. And she did talk about these incidents with some of her coworkers. So although Kanika didn't say anything along those lines, that doesn't prove anything. I suppose someone from Kanika's work could have had a grudge against her for any reason. So did they hire someone to kill her? That's a possibility. Pretty much everything's a possibility. There is also the theory that Kanika's new girlfriend's ex could have had something to do with it, or possibly someone in her new circle of friends. And I get the impression that this is a theory Kanika's mom thinks is most likely. Kanika was killed the day before she was going to Atlanta with her girlfriend. So her mom was pointed out, you know, it makes you wonder if the timing was relevant or if it was just a coincidence. Is it also a coincidence when Kanika, who usually spent time with her friends who had been around her for years, 
starts hanging out with a new group, and then these strange occurrences begin. We know Kanika wasn't involved in criminal behavior, but it's possible someone in that circle had been, or even someone that her new friends knew could have been, or, you know, could Kanika's new girlfriend's ex know people who are criminals and and are not necessarily professionals, but they're involved enough in crime that they'd be willing to do something like this. Kanika stated that she didn't know who she upset after these incidents, like I said. And although she didn't think she did anything to upset someone, it's possible she could have unknowingly angered someone and they took their anger to a diabolical level. It's just so hard to see why anyone would have wanted Kanika to be dead, so much so that they most likely either hired someone to do this or talked someone into doing it. Could someone have been jealous of Kanika for one reason or another? Police have chosen not to comment on the situation about Kanika's new friends and her new girlfriend's ex, but they have stated they don't have a person of interest at this time. I kept thinking in this case, if the killer were someone tied to this new group of friends Kanika had, her new girlfriend, the girlfriend's ex, it seems like police would be able to figure that out. I'm going back to Kanika's girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. He could have gotten past the police questioning, right? You know, you said that he was pretty frustrated and pretty angry with Kanika, specifically her girlfriend. I mean, could he have hired someone or had his friends pull this off and he could have gotten through the questioning without his friends getting involved? Yeah, and he could have had an alibi too. Right. And there's no DNA left at the scene. There wouldn't be anything to tie him to it. So it could be, in this theory, it could be just just enough disconnected from Kanika herself that if he had a friend or someone he knew do this, then I can see how they would get away with it. I keep going back to him just because he is the singular person that anyone has mentioned had a problem with Kanika. Right. So it's hard not to focus on him. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But at the end of the day, we just don't know. I mean, it's so up in the air. It seems even if you're jealous of your girlfriend's uh, new partner going to the lengths of killing her seems extreme, but people do it. They do. And I would like to know what happened with that relationship after Kanika's murder, meaning did they get back together or did they stay apart? And we just don't have that information. Yeah, or did he even attempt to, did he attempt to get back together with her? Yeah, I don't know. If he didn't, then maybe it makes it less likely. Yeah, yeah. Another theory is that Kanika had a stalker she didn't know about. It seemed that the fake FBI agent and the fake delivery driver either really wanted Kanika to open her front door so they could kill her, or they wanted her to open the door so they could force their way in. This could align with the stalker's behavior, but if she had a stalker, their behavior escalated immediately before the murder, 
as Kanika had never mentioned being followed or any strange occurrences before the week of her murder. So this would really have to be someone she didn't know anything about. Also, if more than one person is involved in this, that makes it less likely that a stalker was behind the crime. And it really seems that the killer's intent was to kill. Sergeant McDonald described the situation as the offender was mission-driven, with that mission being to kill Kanika. That doesn't necessarily jive with the stalker possibility. Kanika's friend, Ayana, told Unsolved Mysteries that she misses her friendship with Kanika the most. She lost the one person she knew she could count on for advice or a good laugh. Kanika's mom misses everything about her daughter, and she hopes that someone with information in Kanika's case will come forward one day. There's also a possibility that more than one person holds the key to the case and knows exactly what happened to Kanika. If you have information relevant to the murder of Kanika Powell, please contact Prince George's County Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-8477. Our listener, Nicole, who requested this case, noted that Kanika did all the right things here. She contacted law enforcement. She contacted the FBI and FedEx. She was going to get a security system installed, and yet none of it mattered in the end, and that's a startling truth. Not to say that if you don't do those things, then it was expected to happen, but she really was taking precautions, and it's sad to think how it didn't matter. That is all we have for today, but thank you all for joining us once again, and we will be back next week with a new case. Bye. Bye.